Thank you. What a word of praise. And, um, you know, that song comes directly from Scripture. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you want to look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. Let me just read it. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, just the exact words that they sang. And I pray and trust that you are here today doing that same thing, that you are, you are, you are rejoicing with great joy to be in God's presence, to be with His people. Let me go on and read this. It says in verse 11, And going into the house, they, we're talking about the wise men, saw the child with Mary. And if you read the words house, it might be a little interesting um, because it's not at the manger. It's not in the cave. It's not behind the inn. It's probably a couple years later that these wise men arrived after seeing the star to be in the presence, not of the infant or the baby Jesus, but the child. That word there in the Greek actually is more of a toddler that they have come now to visit and to be before. And here's, though, what's so important about this. They go, they went and into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. Then, watch this now, they fell down and they what? They worshipped him. Just seeing him and being in his presence, they knew this was a special person. They knew this was the Messiah that the Lord had promised long ago. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity now that we have to open up your gift to us, your word. May it speak to us, may it speak to us clearly, even as we talk about the gifts that we bring at this Christmas time. God, I thank you that we're able to focus upon the gift that the angels brought to you. And uh, Lord, may that spur us on to continue to bring gifts to you each and every day as you've asked us to do our gift of our lives, gift of our heart, gift of our worship and praise. We do that even now as we continue to talk and share about your goodness to us. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 If you have your outline, I'll invite you to pull that out. We have a few fill-ins that I'll bring to you in just a little bit. But we um, are talking about the angel's gift. And, uh, you know, many people don't think of the angels as bringing a gift. We, we think of oftentimes the wise men. It's easy to make that connection with the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. We think about the shepherds and their gift of going to the manger, their time and their belief that they spent in that time. Uh, before the Lord, even the gift that Mary brought of, of offering her life, her womb, to carry um, the baby Jesus, um, all those being gifts. But today I want to talk about a little different gift. And uh, it, it's the angel's gift, and we're not just talking about the first angel. He's the one that gets all the accolades and the sharing and the talk about. But it's the other angels that we're going to kind of deal with here a little bit. And so if you have your Bibles, jump over to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 2, and uh, many of you are familiar with the setup to this, but let me read it once again. That first, the messenger angel comes to the shepherds, and it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then we see in verse 13, the the gift-giving angels, where it says, And suddenly there was with the angel, the one angel now, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And if you don't read that real closely, maybe you'll miss that. But I hope you don't. I hope you catch the gift that's here. It's not a gold. It's not frankincense. It's not of myrrh. But it's a gift of worship that they give to the Lord for what he has just done. You know, and, you know, you might say it's not very practical. Yes, Mary could have probably used a bed for a gift. Jesus could have used a bassinet or something like that. But who knew Jesus better than the angels? I mean, they'd just been with him up in heaven. And the angels knew that they were coming to give their praise to Jesus. That, that was their priority to do that. On his birth, on his Noel, his day of birth, it was the praise that they brought. You know what scripture talks about? The angels are rejoicing. They are praising even now. And those same angels will continue to praise him throughout all of time. You just look at the verse out of Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, where it talks about... Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. I mean, these these angels, they were dialed into the worship that they were to bring to God for what he had just done through his son, Jesus Christ. That word worship, as we kind of enter into that, is is an old English word called worth-scribe, which literally translates to mean to ascribe worth to someone or to something. And understand, worship is not about a place. Worship is about a, a, a state of the heart, a state of the mind, a state of your, your being that is, is focused upon God. Anytime you turn your heart towards heaven and say, God, you are worthy, or you say the words with the angels, holy, 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 you are in a state of worship. Anytime you set your calendar to, to pray, anytime you turn your, your iTunes or your, your playlist or your radio or your CD player to play worship music and engage in that kind of music, anytime you're on a morning jog and memorizing Bible verses or reciting them, you're on a lunch break and you're meditating upon them, that's worship. And so worship happens in your neighborhood. It happens in your living room. It happens in your workplaces. It happens in churches when people come together and focus upon the Lord in public and plural declaration of God's goodness. That's when worship can happen. And I hope it happens in all of those times. In fact, it says out of John chapter 4 that our Father is actually seeking, actively seeking, earnestly seeking those who worship Him. And I pray that we are amongst that kind of people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because here's the real truth about worship. And you have this on your outline, the first fill in there. It's not a question of, will you worship? The question is really, where will you direct your worship? 
That's really what the question is for us, and that's what we have to understand. See, we all worship something or someone. We are wired that way. That's the way God made us. We're wired to worship. We just then need to choose what we worship. You know what? Honestly, I could tell what you worship by looking at your calendars and by looking at your credit card statements. You could tell the same thing about me. What gets my attention? What I give my time to? What I give my finances to? All those things indicate and show what we truly give worth to. You know, when we talk about worship, we think, well, you know, we worship God. But really, the word means to give or ascribe worth to. So what do you give your worth to? You know, it's very revealing to me. Many of us have smartphones and, and iPhones and, and things like that. That on my iPhone, there's, there's kind of an app or there's a setting that I can go through and see how much time I've spent with my iPhone that week. And how much time, yeah, it's a little scary to, to do that. You, try it, try it sometime. It's a little scary then to see what you've spent time looking at. Many times I'll surf the web on there. I'll, I'll be playing some games on there and, and some downtime. I'll read my Bible or devotions. I have a Bible on there. It's, 50 different versions of it on there. I, I have my devotions on there as well. Many times I'll, I'll read my scriptures here as well, um, but I'll do it on my phone. And it was almost embarrassing to me to see how much time it told me I was doing all these other things, playing the games and surfing the net, as compared to reading my Bible on, on my phone. It looked like I was worshiping at the almighty foot of the iPhone, to be honest with you. I didn't like it. I said, ah, that, that, that can't be. And again, even though I read this or do some devotional reading in other places, I want to spend just as much time using that in the right way, giving worship to God, because truly, here's the, here's the fact of it. Where you spend your time and your attention, ask yourself this question. Where do I spend my time and my attention? Because in reality, whatever gets your attention gets you. That's what you worship. Whatever you give your attention to. And the angels are now coming down to declare glory to God in the highest. That's where our worship needs to go to. I mean, some of us worship in some really funky places, don't we? And and maybe it's not the right worship. I remember when I was a kid, um, practically worshiping at the Christmas tree, um, because underneath the Christmas tree was a huge package, and it had my name on it. I was about six years old, and it was one of these packages that was like this. I mean, it might have been like even that. It might have been like a refrigerator box. And my parents wrapped it up and put it there beside the Christmas tree. I spent so much time trying to figure out what that was. I would sit in that room, and I'd just look at it. My mom would walk in. She'd say, what are you doing, Brad? I said, oh, I'm just looking at something that I can't have yet. And I'd sit in front of it, and I'd wonder. And then the be- it got the best of me, because I went up and I touched it. And then I began to kind of shake it. And I was, again, big box, so I'd be shaking. And I'd come back in a little later, and I'd do the same sort of thing. And I don't know how this happened, but eventually I ended up on the floor, like right in front of it. And then I slid my arm underneath it like this. And then somehow the wrapping paper underneath it kind of came off. 
and there was a little hole underneath that box where the flaps kind of met. And somehow my six-year-old hand found its way inside that box. Do we have any snoopers in the, in the crowd? Any, any, any other snoopers? Okay, I'm being honest here, all right? Right? I can, still rem- I can still remember what it felt like. It was one of those soft, furry, huge beanbag chairs that I was going to get. I mean, I mean that, that package got my attention. It also got me in trouble for being when mom found out what I had done in front of that package. But it got my attention. And I spent time in there wondering and before it. Think about it. What gets your attention? Because what gets your attention gets you. It does. It grabs you. It, it holds you. It, it captures your imagination and, and your attention. And, and, and oftentimes we can turn that to a, to a bit of worship. Many people today are worshiping the God of consumerism. This last week, as people go shopping, they're worshiping in the malls. If they have this, this hectic style about them that may just say, I have to get this, I have to get this. That's a form of worship. It's got your attention. You turn on the TV today. You, you can see some football games. You'll see hundreds of thousands of people who can be worshiping at a football game. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping the Now, let me be fair about this because those things can be good. In their proper place, in their proper context, they can be good. But when they take a priority over God, now we're putting something in the place that only God deserves and we're worshiping it. We ask ourselves that question. What's gotten our attention? What gets us? And you know as well as I do, anything that's in that place of God will always disappoint us. It will always let us down. Because we look to those things to entertain us or to deliver us or to carry us or to fulfill us. God made each of us with a God-shaped type of void in our lives. And only He can fill that up. And yet, we try and put many things in that place. It it, it could be someone. It could be something. It could be some things we're working towards. And these can be good things. But when they get out of priority, and we try and put them in that God place, then they'll go wrong. And, And they can be good things, but they're not God things, is the way I like to say it. So, let me ask you. What are you putting in that void that only God deserves? What are you giving worth to over God. Maybe, maybe you were counting on that career, that career field that you were in, and you were counting on that career to carry you or deliver you or entertain you or fulfill you, but now you realize it really hasn't taken you there. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in right now or desire to be in, but it hasn't fulfilled you. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe you thought that when that day arrives, then I'll have it all, but you don't. You feel unfulfilled. Maybe it's uh, your education that you've been working towards. Maybe it's your body that you've been worshiping that and, and saying, my body's going to take me places. It's going to do things for me. I need, yes, we do need to take care of it. But again, not over the place of God because it will disappoint. It will let us down. In fact, the next feeling I wrote there was that anytime we trust an object or activity to give us life and meaning, we worship it. Let me say it again. Anytime we trust an object or an activity to give us life and meaning, we worship that. And when we make good things the ultimate things, we set ourselves up for 
disappointment. And a lot of these things, as I said before, they're good. In the right context, they can be good. They can be wonderful gifts from the Lord, but they cannot substitute for what the God place is in that place in our lives that only God will fill. And so in this final week heading up into the Christmas season, let me just give you a few thoughts as we join with the angels and what they did in worshiping and pray that you will take this time, this final week uh, before Christmas time, to do these types of things and to give God his proper gift like the angels did. The first thing I wrote down was this, is to worship verbally. Worship Jesus verbally. Look at what the verse says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse uh, 15. It said, through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we, we speak it. We verbally say it. We just don't think it in our hearts, and our minds, but we verbally say it outwardly. Um, a few decades ago, there was a popular country song entitled, Always On My Mind. Do any of you remember that song, Always On My Mind? Okay, if it was a country song, it probably ended up in twang, 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 twang after that chorus, right? And, and, and the words would go, um, uh, you're always on my mind. In fact, the singer tells his sweetheart in the middle of it that even though he seldom expressed his feelings through words or actions, she was always on his mind. Twang, 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 whatever, however that goes, all right? Now, here's what I would say about that song. That songwriter did not consult a woman when he wrote that song, did he? Because no sweetheart would let their man off the hook to say, oh, you know what, you just thought about me and I'm okay with that, right? There's no way that's going to happen. There was no way that you would say, you never told me, you never gave me flowers, you never gave me kind words, you never gave me compliments, but I am always on your mind. I'm okay with that. Doesn't happen, does it? Mm -mm. I don't think the same thing should be given to God either. We don't just give him lip service or, 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 or mind service, so to speak. We shouldn't just give him lip service as well. We should give him more than lip service. We should say it and have him know it, that our affections come out. It's not just inside our heart, but we should tell it. We should tell it in public. We should tell it unashamedly. It says in Psalm 47:1, shout to God the joyful praise. That's why when you come here and hear these songs, I pray that you're coming on time, and I pray that you prepared yourself to be in God's presence, and the words you say are words that actually come from your heart, not just up on the screen, but more so than that when you leave. That it won't just be something we do at one hour on Sunday morning, but it would be verbal praises that we give to God throughout the week to remind ourselves how good He is. I love what John Wesley said about this. He was an evangelist, said, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. Be, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. In other words, he's saying, you've done this before. You've sung worldly type songs with great excitement. Do it for the Lord as well. And, and let me remind you about, about Satan. Let me, let me just say this, okay? Satan cannot tolerate Christ-centered worship. He cowers in the midst of that. And, and, and unlike God, he's not omniscient. 
Okay? Satan cannot read your mind. He's not moved by what you think, only by what you say. That's a great point. That's a great thought. Satan is not moved by what you just think. It's by what you say. You need to speak it for him to know it and for him to hear it. In fact, I love what James says um, in this verse out of James 4. It says, yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God. He will be there in no time. Let your worship come onto your lips and say, you know, it's one of the reasons that we gather together for shock four times a year across the city at some of the other churches and right here at First Baptist. It's because we want to worship together. We want to worship over our city and pray for our city. I hope you'll be worshiping in your homes. I pray that you'll be worshiping um, for our, our, our God to bring peace upon our land and our country and his prosperity upon it, that we would pray that we would be worshipers and to do that verbally. Secondly, let me give you a second thought on this, just like the angels. I pray that we'd be people who will worship in community. Worship in community. What do I mean by that? Look what it says in Luke chapter 2. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a, what's the next word there? A what? A multitude. In community they came together of the heavenly host praising God. Christ's presence deserves an abundant chorus from all of us together. You know, in every generation, there always are the people who say, Jesus, yes, church, nah. They say, you know, I love Jesus. I love the Jesus thing. He taught some good stuff, and he was a good man, and yeah, he's got some good stuff to say, but church, ah, hypocritical. I don't think I need to go to that. I don't want to be a part of that. I can do my own thing. And then maybe they, you know, show up on Christmas and Easter. We, we call them CEOs, Christmas, Easter only, okay, right? I, 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 maybe even some of you are here today, all right? Welcome. Good to have you here. We'll see some of those over uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. What I hope they realize, and I realize I'm preaching to the choir here a little bit because you all are here, but let me just remind you that something happens in corporate worship that does not happen in private worship. Corporate worship, when we come together, when we, when we mutually build one another up, when we encourage each other, when we're in worship, joining my voice joins with your voice in a chorus like the angels singing praise. And, and it's biblical too. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. This is, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10. This is out of the message. Sometimes the message just says it a little differently that just kind of spurs you on or it sparks something. It says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do. Some people say, I don't need to go to worship. I, I can worship God out in the hills. I can worship God in other places. Yes, but you, there's something that happens in corporate worship. And if you have not experienced it, if you have not engaged it, then I would hope that you would come early and prepare your heart and be ready for that. Because, you know, sometimes if you come in late, and you just catch the tail end of the song, and then you catch the last song, you, you really haven't engaged in corporate worship. It says, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. That is when the Lord comes back again. And we talked about that a little bit last week. So let me encourage you. 
verbally on your own with others, but then also corporately in a sense of community. Let me give you the last fill-in, and that would be this. Worship demonstrably. Worship demonstrably. In other words, let your body express what your heart is feeling. Tell your face it sometimes too, right? Wake it up. Let me worship. Let it be on my face. Again, pulling this from Matthew chapter 2, we read this verse. Going into the house, the wise men saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and they worshipped him. They didn't just stand up, right? They just didn't say, well, look at this wonderful child. Isn't he great? No. They, they matched up the thoughts of their hearts, probably even with what they said. We don't have recorded what they said, but visibly they fell and they worshipped him. Whatever puts you in a position of reverence before the king, that's what I encourage you to do. Worship him in that way. You know, uh, every Sunday morning, I will never walk up here to preach if I have not been on my knees in prayer before I do so. And not just praying, but on my knees praying. That's how important I feel it is to walk into this place, to read God's, God's word and explain and share God's word. I, I, I have to do that before I walk in because I, I just feel like God deserves that, 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 that state of mind. And it reminds me that I'm his humble servant just sharing these words with all of you. God, speak through me. God, use me. I have to be on my knees to do that before I walk into this place. You know, it's interesting at this Christmas time, the different traditions that we come by. And I found one out with the holly and the ives. Uh, many of us see the wreaths, the Christmas wreaths at this time of year. You know how those came about? Christmas wreaths came about from when early missionaries to Britain found druids who used to worship mistletoe. And the holly and the ives that they thought were sacred religious symbols or, or, or ceremonies. And uh, the Druid kings would wear these crowns of holly and ives as some of their most sacred possessions. And they thought that it gave them mystical powers. And so when these Druid kings became Christians, when they understood about the one true God and it was revealed by the missionaries, these, these Druid kings, to demonstrate their conversion would lay their holly and ive crowns at the altar of the church to signify that um, they've been vanquished by Jesus and that they've surrendered to him. Remember the kind of culture and society they were coming out of. When a king was captured in a land, that king would have to go before the other king and take off his crown and lay it before him. Take off his sword and lay it before him. Take his shield and lay it before him at the feet. And, and you know, that's what we do when we come before God. We lay ourselves before him. We demonstrably kneel or bow before him to say, you are king, you are the ruler, you have vanquished me, I'm submissive to you. That comes straight out of scripture. We see in Revelation chapter 4, where at the end of time, uh, it's going to say people are going to be laying their crowns before the Lord and saying, you are worthy. Holy, 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 O oh God, to be worshipped forever and forever and forever. So this Christmas season, as you see those wreaths, understand that's where that came from. And maybe even that will bring you to a place of worship and being reminded how important it is that we put our lives before our King. And, you know, something happens when our body and our spirit is matched up in worship to God. 
I mean, it, it, it changes things. It even brings bitter enemies at times together. Let me give you an illustration to demonstrate this. Uh, a couple years ago on Christmas Eve, um, I shared a video, and I realized many people travel on Christmas Eve, and some aren't able to be here and such. And so I wanted to show this again here today in case you didn't see it, and even if you did. I, I know it's a great video, and so I want you to see it again. But there was a truth in the midst of it that I never l- really looked at, so I want to point that out today. But let me set the scene. The video we're going to watch, it was done by a, um, a British um, a restaurant chain or a grocery store chain, of, of all people. Um, but it's set on Christmas Eve, 1914, during World War I. And it's set on the battlefield between the Germans and the British armies. And what happened that night is known as a Christmas time truth. True, true story. They began to sing. We don't know which side began to sing at first, but the two sides began to sing, not so far apart that they couldn't hear each other's voices. They began to sing Silent Night in their own language on the front lines of battle. And so I want to watch, uh, want you to watch this video that visually portrays this story. Uh, and you'll hear the song that's sung, and then you'll see the unexpected peace that follows. And then I want to bring out an important point about it. So watch this. Jenkins, open. No. My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's calm. It's schön, um, it's schön.
Happy Christmas. Frohe Weihnachten. a little bit of poetic license in there, but do you see where the one-time truce began? It began with some worship. It began with people singing a song about the birth of Christ that both the cultures had known about. It began with kind of laying down the, the weapons and saying, we're unified in this. Yes, our countries are at war, but we're unified in this. It began with two enemies singing a song of praise. It began with that kind of sense of worship. And we can only pray that that will come again, that there would be that kind of peace upon this world where warriors would give way to being worshipped. That's going to happen at the end of time. Where, where people will lay down their crowns of, of pride and vengeance and anger at one another. And they'll lay those down at the feet of the one who we say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, good will to all men. Someday it'll come where conflict will give way to, to an eternal course singing this praise, but not yet. But we can do it in our own places. We can do it in our own homes. We can do it in our own little corner of the world. And we can join with the angels how they worship if we do it verbally. If we do it in that sense of having community and join together and invite others to come with us. If we do it with more than just even a spirit of an inward worship, but also an outward worship of praise. Be it bowing the knee, be it lifting hands, whatever it may be, it's giving God praise for who he is, just like the angels did. It demonstrated for us glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill, on whom his peace rests. And this world has changed when people come together and worship. And I pray your heart is. I pray your life, because above even verbally saying it, above even being in the context of, of community and demonstrably, even more than that, you know what's even more important? Is that you leave here and you're worshiping with your lives. That's when God gets the most praise. That's why he's looking, he's hunting, he's eagerly searching for worshipers, true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth every day, 24-7. It's a lifestyle of worship and praise. I pray that would be us. I pray that would be your heart. If it has not been, that as we build up to Christmas season, that you would find yourself continuing to worship him over and over and over again. Glory to God in the highest.
Thank you. What a word of praise. And um, you know, that song comes directly from Scripture. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you want to look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. Let me just read it. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, just the exact words that they sang. And I pray and trust that you are here today doing that same thing, that you are, you are, you are rejoicing with great joy to be in God's presence, to be with His people. Let me go on and read this. It says in verse 11, And going into the house, they, we're talking about the wise men, saw the child with Mary. And if you read the words house, it might be a little interesting um, because it's not at the manger. It's not in the cave. It's not behind the inn. It's probably a couple years later that these wise men arrived after seeing the star to be in the presence, not of the infant or the baby Jesus, but the child. That word there in the Greek actually is more of a toddler that they have come now to visit and to be before. And here's, though, what's so important about this. They go, they went and into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. Then, watch this now, they fell down and they what? They worshipped him. Just seeing him and being in his presence, they knew this was a special person. They knew this was the Messiah that the Lord had promised long ago. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense, and money. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity now that we have to open up your gift to us, your word. May it speak to us, may it speak to us clearly, even as we talk about the gifts that we bring at this Christmas time. God, I thank you that we're able to focus upon the gift that the angels brought to you. And uh, Lord, may that spur us on to continue to bring gifts to you each and every day as you've asked us to do our gift of our lives, the gift of our heart, the gift of our worship and praise. We do that even now as we continue to talk and share about your goodness to us. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 If you have your outline, I'll invite you to pull that out. We have a few fill-ins that I'll bring to you in just a little bit. But we um, are talking about the angel's gift. And, uh, you know, many people don't think of the angels as bringing a gift. We, we think of oftentimes the wise men. It's easy to make that connection with the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. We think about the shepherds and their gift of going to the manger, their time and their belief that they spent in that time. Uh, before the Lord, even the gift that Mary brought of, of offering her life, her womb, to carry um, the baby Jesus, um, all those being gifts. But today I want to talk about a little different gift. And uh, it, it's the angel's gift, and we're not just talking about the first angel. He's the one that gets all the accolades and the sharing and the talk about, but it's the other angels that we're going to kind of deal with here a little bit. And so if you have your Bibles, jump over to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 2, and uh, many of you are familiar with the setup to this, but let me read it once again. That first, the messenger angel comes to the shepherds, and it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then we see in verse 13 the the gift-giving angels where it says, and suddenly there was with the angel, the one angel now, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And if you don't read that real closely, maybe you'll miss that, but I hope you don't. I hope you catch the gift that's here. It's not a gold, it's not frankincense, it's not of myrrh, but it's a gift of worship that they give to the Lord for what he has just done. You know, and you, know you might say it's not very practical. Yes, Mary could have probably used a bed for a gift. Jesus could have used a bassinet or something like that. But who knew Jesus better than the angels? I mean, they'd just been with him up in heaven. And the angels knew that they were coming to give their praise to Jesus. That that was their priority to do that on his birth, on his Noel, his day of birth. It was the praise that they brought. You know what scripture talks about? The angels are rejoicing. They are praising even now. And those same angels will continue to praise him throughout all of time. You just look at the verse out of Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 where it talks about Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. I mean, these, these angels, they were dialed into the worship that they were to bring to God for what he had just done through his son, Jesus Christ. That word worship, as we kind of enter into that, is, is an old English word called scribe, which literally translates to mean to ascribe worth to someone or to something. And understand, worship is not about a place. Worship is about a, a, a state of the heart, a state of the mind, a state of your, your being that is, is focused upon God. Anytime you turn your heart towards heaven and say, God, you are worthy, or you say the words with the angels, holy, 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 you are in a state of worship. Anytime you set your calendar to, to pray, anytime you turn your, your iTunes or your, your playlist or your radio or your CD player to play worship music and engage in that kind of music, anytime you're on a morning jog and memorizing Bible verses or reciting them, you're on a lunch break and you're meditating upon them, that's worship. And so worship happens in your neighborhood, it happens in your living room, it happens in your workplaces, it happens in churches when people come together and focus upon the Lord in public and plural declaration of God's goodness, that's when worship can happen. And I hope it happens in all of those times. In fact, it says out of John chapter 4 that our Father is actually seeking, actively seeking, earnestly seeking those who worship Him. And I pray that we are amongst that kind of people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because here's the real truth about worship. And you have this on your outline, the first fill in there. It's not a question of, will you worship? The question is really, where will you direct your worship? 
That's really what the question is for us, and that's what we have to understand. See, we all worship something or someone. We are wired that way. That's the way God made us. We're wired to worship. We just then need to choose what we worship. You know what? Honestly, I could tell what you worship by looking at your calendars and by looking at your credit card statements. You could tell the same thing about me. What gets my attention? What do I give my time to? What do I give my finances to? All those things indicate and show what we truly give worth to. You know, when we talk about worship, we think, well, you know, we worship God. But really, the word means to give or ascribe worth to. So what do you give your worth to? You know, it's very revealing to me. Many of us have smartphones and, and iPhones and, and things like that. That on my iPhone, there's, there's kind of an app or there's a setting that I can go through and see how much time I've spent with my iPhone that week. And how much time, yeah, it's a little scary to, to do that. You, try it, try it sometime. It's a little scary then to see what you've spent time looking at. Many times I'll surf the web on there. I'll, I'll be playing some games on there and, and some downtime. I'll read my Bible or devotions. I have a Bible on there. It's 50 different versions of it on there. I, I have my devotions on there as well. Many times I'll, I'll read my scriptures here as well, um, but I'll do it on my phone. And it was almost embarrassing to me to see how much time it told me I was doing all these other things, playing the games and surfing the net, as compared to reading my Bible on, on my phone. It looked like I was worshiping at the almighty foot of the iPhone, to be honest with you. I didn't like it. I said, ah, that, that can't be. And again, even though I read this or do some devotional reading in other places, I want to spend just as much time using that in the right way, giving worship to God, because truly, here's the, here's the fact of it. Where you spend your time and your attention, ask yourself this question. Where do I spend my time and my attention? Because in reality, whatever gets your attention gets you. That's what you worship. Whatever you give your attention to. And the angels are now coming down to declare glory to God in the highest. That's where our worship needs to go to. I mean, some of us worship in some really funky places, don't we? And and maybe it's not the right worship. I remember when I was a kid, um, practically worshiping at the Christmas tree, um, because underneath the Christmas tree was a huge package, and it had my name on it. I was about six years old, and it was one of these packages that was like this. I mean, it might have been like even that. It might have been like a refrigerator box. And my parents wrapped it up and put it there beside the Christmas tree. I spent so much time trying to figure out what that was. I would sit in that room, and I'd just look at it. My mom would walk in. She'd say, what are you doing, Brad? I said, oh, I'm just looking at something that I can't have yet. And I'd sit in front of it, and I'd wonder. And then the be- it got the best of me, because I went up and I touched it. And then I began to kind of shake it. And I was, again, big box, so I'd shake it. And I'd come back in a little later, and I'd do the same sort of thing. And I don't know how this happened, but eventually I ended up on the floor, like right in front of it. And I slid my arm underneath it like this. And then somehow the wrapping paper underneath it kind of came off. 
and there was a little hole underneath that box where the flaps kind of met. And somehow my six-year-old hand found its way inside that box. Do we have any snoopers in the, in the crowd? Any, any, any others? Okay, I'm being honest here, all right? Right? I can, still rem- I can still remember what it felt like. It was one of those soft, furry, huge beanbag chairs that I was going to get. I mean, I mean that, that package got my attention. It also got me in trouble for being when mom found out what I had done in front of that package. But it got my attention. And I spent time in there wondering and before it. Think about it. What gets your attention? Because what gets your attention gets you. It does. It grabs you. It, it holds you. And it captures your imagination and, and your attention. And, and, and oftentimes we can turn that to a, to a bit of worship. Many people today are worshiping the God of consumerism. This last week, as people go shopping, they're worshiping in the malls. If they have this, this hectic style about them that may just say, I have to get this, I have to get this. That's a form of worship. It's got your attention. You turn on the TV today. You you can see some football games. You'll see hundreds of thousands of people who can be worshiping at a football game. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping this. Now, let me be fair about this because those things can be good. In their proper place, in their proper context, they can be good. But when they take a priority over God, now we're putting something in the place that only God deserves and we're worshiping it. We ask ourselves that question. What's gotten our attention? What gets us? And you know as well as I do, anything that's in that place of God will always disappoint us. It will always let us down. Because we look to those things to entertain us or to deliver us or to carry us or to fulfill us. God made each of us with a God-shaped type of void in our lives. And only He can fill that up. And yet, we try and put many things in that place. It, it, it could be someone. It could be something. It could be some things we're working towards. And these can be good things. But when they get out of priority and we try and put them in that God place, then they'll go wrong. And, and they can be good things, but they're not God things, is the way I like to say it. So let me ask you, what are you putting in that void that only God deserves? What are you giving worth to over God. Maybe, maybe you were counting on that career, that career field that you were in, and you were counting on that career to carry you or deliver you or entertain you or fulfill you, but now you realize it really hasn't taken you there. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in right now or desire to be in, but it hasn't fulfilled you. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe you thought that when that day arrives, then I'll have it all, but you don't. You feel unfulfilled. Maybe it's uh, your education that you've been working towards. Maybe it's your body that you've been worshiping that and, and saying, my body's going to take me places. It's going to do things for me. I need, yes, we do need to take care of it. But again, not over the place of God because it will disappoint. It will let us down. In fact, the next feeling I wrote there was that anytime we trust an object or activity to give us life and meaning, we worship it. Let me say it again. Anytime we trust an object or an activity to give us life and meaning, we worship that. And when we make good things the ultimate things, we set ourselves up for 
disappointment. And a lot of these things, as I said before, they're good. In the right context, they can be 